Alright, what's going on everybody? We are live with Underground Sports Philadelphia, episode number 203. Kyle Bennett, Matt Castorina coming at you live from Underground Studios. As always, show brought to you by Main Auto LLC. Ducharms Pro Foot, they have a retro Jordan release today, so if you are in the area, go check them out. Uh, pretty awesome sneaker that they're putting out there. Security 21, Wainwright Bernhardt Funeral Home, Paul J. Gillespie Incorporated, Bob Novick Automall, Mark Ronchetti, CPA, LLC, and the Dental Wellness Center of Vineland, and as always, show powered by our friends over at Design Tree. What's going on, Matt? Got a lot to uh, discuss with the Sixers, the Eagles coaching staff, and uh, is Connor Barwin Dwight from the office? Yeah, uh, I am, as always, living the dream. Although a very cold one today, so I don't know. That went for a morning run and yes. uh, is just thawing out, but the Sixers kind of thawed out last night as uh, they took down the Bulls, and Furkan Korkmaz had uh, yet another career game in the legend that is Furkan. Uh, really carried the team in the three-point department, and the Sixers beat the Bulls. I mean, if it wasn't for Furkan's hot shooting night, this could have been a pretty embarrassing loss for the Sixers because they were really struggling against this Bulls team for about three quarters of this game. Honestly, it wasn't until uh, right after halftime that the Sixers finally started pulling away. But yeah, Furkan, what can you say? This is what we love about him. Um, but he, you know, this was his first game that he's had of, of real note in the last few weeks. He's been slumping pretty hard and. Last night, felt like he just couldn't miss. And, yeah, you know, it's nice when you have a bench player kind of have a, a big burst like this. And, frankly, you need it when you're missing someone like Embiid. I thought everyone played pretty well last night, though. I, I can't say that anyone was really a big negative. Horford had a, a pretty good performance, which you'd expect against the Bulls. They don't really have a, a good interior presence to deal with someone like him. And, yeah, it was a all-around good night. It's you know good just to get another win. Of course, it's because it's at home. Um, you get two straight here and hope to build some of that uh, going forward. But anytime the Sixers win, I think, is a positive. Yeah, and, I mean, they were able to win when Josh Richardson only had two points last night. Not his best performance, but like we said, Furkan Korkma has really stepped up. 24 points in 27 minutes played. Horford had one of his best games in recent memory. And, uh, you know, Ben Simmons, a double-double again and, and look good, as we pretty much expect when Ben Simmons is out there without Embiid, just with just his uh, style of play. But the bench has continued to struggle, too. And even in a win, it's kind of concerning that you have guys like James Ennis like Mike Scott, that are just continuing to kind of be in this weird funk, and it's just continued on now late into the month of January. Yeah, so Mike Scott obviously last night getting uh, pretty significantly less time that he's gotten, and I think a lot of that has to do with just his performances lately. Also probably keeping on the fact that we have a back-to-back -back and you're going to New York today. Um, you know, I think everyone got typically less minutes, and you, you usually expect a little more rotation. But yeah, you know, it's... The bench has been a, a sore issue for the Sixers for a long time, and it's no different now. Uh, and, yeah, there's a lot of inconsistencies with it. Uh, you know, for, like I said, Furkan, this was his first, you know, even good performance in a long time. He, he hadn't even been playing at an average level, really. He, he'd been pretty bad. Um, so it was good to get a nice outburst from him. But, you know, you can't you can't win games just when your your starting five are are all that's giving you anything, and we we just have not seen the consistency at all with this bench unit, and that's going to obviously be something that 
the Sixers look to address as you get into buyouts and any potential trades. And obviously, you know, the bench gets thinned out when Embiid's not there, so Matisse Thibel starts again. Uh, seven points from Matisse last night in 36 minutes. You know, and he's still trying to get back into a groove of things coming back from his injury. So it's a lot of kind of just, you know, knocking the rust off and just trying to figure out what is actually going on with this bench. Yeah, and I mean, Matisse as well, you know, you kind of would expect him to have a, a much more positive defensive approach than he is. He's going to give you anything in terms of, you know, points scored or assists or anything like that. And he had that again last night. He had obviously that highlight reel block um, last night where he, he gets beat but turns and I don't know how he even makes up the ground that he does, but you see that from Thibault quite often. And yeah, he's been a real, real defensive presence for this team, and that's a positive. But yeah, I think the the biggest question mark is is really shooting off the bench right now. Uh, again, if it wasn't for Furkan's hot night, you're looking at another really, really stifled uh, three point shooting performance from the Sixers. And you know they've been a, a a good percentage shooting, just not a huge volume team so far this season. And the fact that the numbers the last few weeks have been frankly as as low as they've been you know where you're sitting around the 20 to 25 percent night 25 to 20 to 25 percent three-point shooting on, on a lot of nights that's really not a positive sign and you know you expect them to get out of this funk you know we had about a month and a half ago where the Sixers were really rolling and that's because everyone was shooting you know 40 percent from three and you know we said well this is gonna thin out at some point and we're not gonna see this forever um, and it's sort of the same now with, with some of these performances but you do need guys to to have at least a little bit more consistency because going through these droughts like this is not not good for the team and it's not good for where where you are in the regular season. We know this team is obviously great at home, but you know they just cannot win on the road. I you even kind of question them going to the Knicks tonight and, and putting in a good performance. Um, we, we've seen that already from this season, whether they've gone up there and not not played their best for sure. So you know you, you have to start being more consistent and. Where that starts, I don't know. But, yeah, if it wasn't for Furkan, I think we'd be talking again about what a just really miserable performance it was. So thanks to Korkmaz, some of these guys, I think, get a little um, little reprieve from, from the anger. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Furkan had six threes last night. Yeah, the rest six of and the nine. team had three. Yes. So not great there. But they did make every single one of their free throws, which very good to see there. Uh, shot almost 50% from the field, and... They only had 11 turnovers, which for the Sixers team, that's like... Sixers have actually quietly uh, really stepped up in their overall turnover display so far. Um, that's that, I don't think we've talked about that enough. That They, they have certainly uh, improved in that regard. They're still you know, an above-average turnover kind of team. Um, but again, that just goes to how much they move the ball. But for the most part, they, they've actually been you know, a, a little better in that regard. Still three games out of the two seed, which now belongs to the Miami Heat. Celtics are the three seed, Raptors the four, and the Pacers are only a half game ahead of the Sixers as they go to New York tonight, uh, you know, on that back half of the back-to-back. But like you said, can we really, you know, have a, a ton of faith going into a road game knowing just how poorly they've struggled on the road? And sure, it's the Knicks, but like, you haven't been able to see kind of a reason why you won't see this team struggle no matter who they're playing. Yeah, and, you know, again, they, they went to New York already this season and, and had a pretty poor performance. And, you know, 
you've seen that a lot this year where they, they go on the road and just can't, especially, you know, miserable, slow starts. Even last night was a really bad first half by the Sixers. Again, a lot of it saved by Furkan going off in the second half. You know, you had you know, 20 points after, after the first quarter against a pretty bad Bulls team. Like, that's just not a good situation to find yourself. But, yeah, you, you expect them to go and beat the Knicks just because the Knicks are such a poor team. But on a back-to-back, you know, obviously it's not a, a, a huge travel log going from Philly to New York. But you don't know what to expect with this team. And um, you'd hope it, by January, almost February now, that we'd be in a, a better position in terms of confidence with this team going on the road. But when their road record is the way it is, I don't think you can have any faith in this team when, when they when they travel outside the Wells Fargo Center. So, you know, that's that's really the, the, the big piece here is that I don't know how anyone's more than reasonably confident uh, about this team. And this is the start of a three-game road trip where they're – at Madison Square Garden, they go play the Nets, so they're probably just going to stick around in New York, uh, but they play the Nets 3 o'clock on Martin Luther King Day on Monday, and then Wednesday, they go up to Toronto again, which we all know, obviously Embiid won't be playing, but that was when Embiid had the zero points, so, you know, it's essentially, again, Embiid's going to have zero points, so you really got to see these guys step up against the Raptors, which are one of those, you know, big four teams that the Sixers are chasing in the standings, and potentially have a chance to see in the playoffs too so you really have to uh be locked in and ideally you want to come away with you know a 3-0 road trip from this just in terms of the Sixers feeling confident about themselves going into a big game at home against the Lakers yeah and 3-0 is a uh, wildly positive given given the way the Sixers are performed on the road but I, th- I think I you know they could do two and one I expect them to beat the Knicks tonight the Nets will be you know it's kind of Jekyll and Hyde whenever we play them. It feels like um, this team never really has a, a strong, consistent performance against the Nets. And obviously going to Toronto is always really difficult and, and tough to expect to win there. So, yeah, 2-1 and one would be, I, I think, a, a very positive thing coming into the middle of next week if, if you have that going for you. But, oh, yeah, it's it's always a big struggle with this team. And, um you know, even even you look at this past week in the games, they haven't been exactly pretty games to watch, Brooklyn included in that. It, it hasn't been uh, lightning fast. It hasn't been like, oh, wow, that was a really dominant performance. You've had good good performances, obviously, for Ken and Ben in both of those games have been good. But, yeah, overall, this team has left a little bit to be desired in terms of, uh, I guess, entertainment value uh, for the most part, especially on the road. So you're sitting at 7-14 on the road. If you can even start to notch that back up to, like, a 400 winning percentage like <laughs> you know, give us something you know yeah just give us something you get even close to 500 on the road and you know you'd obviously have yourself in a much better position and you know at this point you just hope you aren't kicking yourself in april for dropping you know bad games on the road and that could be the difference between you sitting legitimately sitting at a six seed or a two seed in the east right now because it is like you said that close only three games separating and you want to put your best foot forward going into the playoffs and that means having as much home court advantage as possible you're 20 and 2 at home um you want to have as many of those games as possible you really do yeah and you talk about the nets game too uh, a game that kind of came down to just the fourth quarter and the Sixers having to you know, toggle back and forth with the Nets. But Tobias Harris had one hell of a game, 34-10. Uh, and 10. Ben Simmons stepped up again, had a, a decent Al Horford game. Josh Richardson had a good game. Overall, the, the starters in the Nets game played relatively well, and you had another quality Furkan game where he had 15 points. Um, 
But then again, it came down to the bench where, you know, James Ennis had six points. Norvell Pell had four points. Mike Scott, zero in 11 minutes. Neto, four points in seven minutes. Like, that's kind of been the glaring thing with this team, especially with Embiid being out and Matisse having to be in the starting lineup or Mike Scott being in the starting lineup. This bench has been thinned out. Norvell Pell's not going to be around much longer because he's going to have to be in the G League or another team's going to end up picking him up because the Sixers don't plan on converting his contract right now. We talked about that on Wednesday. But, you know, you need to see production, especially on this road trip, from the bench if they want to even come close to sniffing that 3-0. Yeah, and I, I think 3-0, like I said, is, is very, very optimistic. That is a glass... Uh, what is it half full <laughs> it's like a glass three quarters yeah full. exactly um you know yeah Furkan again great performance last night but you just have not seen that on any regularly Mike Scott has been largely invisible for it's so strange for most of this winter really <laughs> it's um I don't know what it is what what the what the problem is with with him and and why he isn't just hitting any kind of regularity um Al Horford's been decently good actually I think you know he he's one of these guys that I think is very similar to Tobias especially in the beginning of the season for Tobias where any bad performance is on such a a magnified scale um simply because of of the contract that he's Mm -hmm. signed to and whether that's fair or not I don't know but yeah he's I think even with with Embiid out and Horford has stepped up in in a really good way um in fact like he's playing at at an above average level for him uh since then so what can you say about that? You know, he, he's, I think he's put in good shifts and yeah. Um, overall, you know, this, this team is so weird without Embiid. It's pretty ugly to watch at times. And I don't know, you know, it's, there, there's such a weird mix of players. And again, I'm going to keep dying on this hill. I don't know why Trey Burke isn't getting more time with this team. I, I feel like he's the exact type of player that you want. Not that he's the greatest player in the world, but I, I do feel like he could be making a pretty big difference for us, and I'm just not sure what the issue is with, with him not getting burn time. Brett did like half of what I wanted, which was taking Mike Scott out of the starting lineup and maybe reducing his minutes, but has, has pretty much shunned Trey Burke still, and I, I just don't really understand that, that logic. Yeah, and last night we saw uh, Kylo Quinn for the first time in almost a month. Yeah. Um, I Didn't guess. look, he looked like he hadn't played a month. Yeah. Um, don't know if he's going to be around post-trade deadline that's I mean that's what's weird too is that you you keep so you kind of have like Norvell and and Kylo Quinn around even though those are two guys that are a little bit nebulous with their kind of future with the Sixers right now but again someone like Trey Burke that you've guaranteed already by the way that you you know is already going to be around um is not getting time and you know obviously with them beat out you do need more centers but I just it's it is strange. It is very strange. Um, just some of the decision making in terms of, of who's getting what minutes and and how much. But you know, it's kind of what you have to deal with. And and part of it is management too. You know, you, you have to to manage guys' minutes to keep them happy. Um, but it's <laughs> the Sixers are such a strange team, and they they pretty much always have been. And this season really hasn't been any exception. So they play the Knicks tonight, seven thirty expectations for this game obviously we know we talked about how it's on the road and we don't really know if we can trust them on the road but it is the Knicks they have 11 wins on the season but it would be so on brand for this strange weird Sixers team to go in and struggle against the Knicks on the road just for the sheer fact that they're not playing at the Wells Fargo Center yeah, I mean, again, without Embiid, this team is uh, pretty much a 500 team, uh, really below 500 team without Embiid. So 
you don't really have the, the same confidence level you, you normally would if you had someone like him available for a game like this then you added in that that it's uh, a road game um i i feel like the sixers should be winning this game i feel like it would be i think a, a really good kind of uh good step in the right direction here if, if you get this win and sort of keep the morale going you know you win three straight games and you go into brooklyn four straight then who knows you go to toronto and you, and you feel good about yourself so hopefully you know tonight is kind of the the start of the turnaround on this road form from the sixers and uh, they're going to, have to do a lot of work to kind of cleanse some of that uh, anxiety that i have about them being on the road but I, I think it's fair to say you can't have a ton of confidence about a team that is as bad as they are on the road. They're seven and fourteen. The Bulls, by losing last night, are seven and fourteen on the road. The same record, and that's a team that is you know has twelve less wins than we do overall. Like that's just not good, <laughs> you know, which is very obvious. But it's it's really not a good situation to find yourself in, and, and is it's hard for me to have a, a ton of faith in this team anywhere on the road um even a team like the knicks that are more in, in the basement in the nba i still don't have a ton of faith in them but you know let's let's hope right and i ultimately this team has the talent to do it they should be going into a place like new york and winning but we've just been shown time and time again this season you can't really trust the sixers on the road you just can't teams that are 7 14 on the road in the east the sixers who are 27 and 16 overall uh, then the Orlando Magic, who are 20 and 22, the Brooklyn Nets, who are 18 and 22, the Detroit Pistons, who are 15 and 27, and like you said, the Bulls, who are 15 and 28. It's it's shocking, you know. And you even look up just again. It it's obvious, right? If you if you won more games than you they, the, that you had lost, you'd obviously have a better record. But you just think, even if the Sixers are playing at a 500, even a slightly sub 500 level on the road, just they'd be in the number two seed right now. And you'd feel, I, I just wonder what the narrative about this team would be if that was the situation, right? If they're, say, you know, what, 10 and 11 on the road, right? You know, that's still not an amazing road record, of course, but that's, again, good enough for second, third seed in the East right now. And I think people would feel much, much better about this team. And I feel like the narrative wouldn't be, who are we trading out? It's more of, who are we getting? Who are we acquiring? What what move is going to put us over the edge? Whereas if it feels like that difference of just two to four wins is kind of playing into the minds of a lot of people and I don't blame them for that necessarily but uh, you just hope that there's some regression to a more positive mean for the Sixers as they go on the road for you know the, the rest of the season but it's hard to have faith it really is literally three more wins put this team in the two or three seed and if one of, you know one of those was at Miami you lose in overtime you know that's even even more of a kind of a, a big swing yeah. for you but yeah, that's that's just the way the Sixers have played this season, and you know in the past it's been not being able to beat some of the basement dwellers, and you know you play down to the level of competition that has has kind of spurned this team, and, and this year just not being able to to go on the road and put in good performances. That's it. But you know you you can't really even complain about their their home record at all. They have they have an amazing home record, and they have for a long time now. Um, but it just needs to be better on the road. You know, you're always going to have a big night and day. Just the, mm-hmm. how good the Sixers are at home, compi- you know, whatever their away record is, it's always going to be a pretty big shift. But right now, it is complete night and day. It's like you know, Alaska when they have like you know, <laughs> there's six <laughs> like, months of darkness. Yeah, six months of darkness to six months of light all the time. You know, it's just such a massive change that I, it, something needs to, to to be figured out with this because I I don't know where they're going wrong. It was either Kyle Newbeck or Derek Bodner put out a fantastic tweet 
uh, the other night when the Sixers were uh, playing the Nets, and they said, uh, you know, if you were a Sixers fan and you didn't watch any road games where you like just had no ability to watch them and only had the home games, you would think this team was on pace to you know go win an NBA title. I mean, yeah. If you look at the, quite literally, you know the 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 home record is twenty and two, right? That kind of pace, you know, you're you're talking that's like a mid sixties, you know, type of pace, you know, for for wins on a season. If you're looking at the away record, they're seven and fourteen. You're thinking, oh, like this is uh, this is probably maybe a, a borderline like lottery team, playoff team, might even be in the in you know the middle of the lottery, depending on how the rest of the league looks. Like it really is such a dramatic, dramatic shift in, in just how this team looks on the home home court and, and when they're on the road. And um, there, I I don't know what the the finger on the pulse needs to to change here. I, I don't know how you fix it. Um, but that's Brett Brown's job, not mine. Um, and I, I hope that he has he has something worked out because I'll tell you what, this this could be the difference too between actually winning an NBA title. If, if you cannot win on the road, you're not going to have a great time in the playoffs because you know, especially in the East, when you start getting into that second, third round, even right now the first round for the Sixers could be a huge challenge. So needs to be uh, needs to be fixed for sure, and then there needs to be some soul searching on how to how to just work through this. And my hope is that it's just been some weird kind of variance, you know, for, for part of this season. And we obviously can't forget that the Sixers have had a very tough schedule to, to this part of the season, and um, it does lighten up for, for sort of the second half of the year. But, you know, you, you hope that the, the Sixers can turn it around. They have six more games in the month of January, obviously starting tonight against the Knicks. Monday against the Nets, Wednesday against the Raptors. Come home next Saturday, 8.30 primetime against LeBron and the Lakers. And then the Warriors come to town, and then you wrap the month up on the road uh, against the Atlanta Hawks, which is a team that's given the Sixers fits. But then you look at the start of February, the, the first three games of February, it's a gauntlet. You're on the road against Boston, on the road against the Heat, and on the road against Milwaukee. Not great. <laughs> Not a great situation to find yourself in. But, I mean, you talk about tests, and this team has, has risen to that challenge. It reminds me of kind of that early season West Coast trip where, you know, they had, like, the Trailblazers, the the Nuggets in there. It was a, it was a pretty big test for the Sixers early on in the season, and they, they played pretty well through through those performances. And, yeah, you're going to see – also was without Embiid for two games because yes. he was suspended. And that's kind of – Early February is kind of borderline when Embiid might be back. Maybe he's back for like that Bucks game. Maybe we don't really know for sure exactly his his timetable just yet. But yeah, you you hope that this team can can get to that point. And I'm excited to see them play against you know obviously the big teams in the East. I think that's always a, a positive. It kind of sucks they're three in a row right on the road. That's a pretty brutal schedule for anyone. But it's good to to test yourselves and. You have to say the Sixers have performed well against the the big boys in the East so far, and even on the road they've gone on the road yeah. and put in good. Strangely beat enough, beat Boston on the road. Um, you know, you certainly showed yourself well when you played Toronto on the road. It was it was a tough loss, of course, but same thing with the Heat in overtime. Yeah, like, the, you know, if you're talking like Western Conference, they went to the Jazz, you know, lost by by small margin. Same with the Nuggets. Like they've they've had. Again, strangely enough, they've had good performances against good teams on the road. Even in losses. Even in losses. You, you can't really say, oh, you know, they, most of those games have been decided by five points or less, which is, you know, that's that's a tough loss obviously, to take, but it's not when you think, oh, there's like a real systemic problem with the Sixers here that needs to be sorted out. But 
this team is just so strange. They really are, I think, the embodiment of, of Jekyll, Jekyll and Hyde. I think someone needs to, to T-shirt that or something. <laughs> find some some, some creative tree. way. Yeah, Design Tree needs to work on it because they really are. You, you never know what you're going to get with the Sixers team. I've I've lately just been watching Sixers like in the background of and, and just kind of zoning in and out. And it's just hard to get a read. Obviously, I haven't been watching as intently, It's but it's still hard to get a read on just the flow of games with them, you know, right? Like, I'm watching, you know, kind of out of the corner of my eye the first half, and I'm thinking, Jesus, like, we're really going to blow it at home to the Bulls, aren't we? And then you watch the second half, and you can feel kind of the momentum shift and Furkan's playing well, and, and Bede's, you know, on the bench getting excited about all the plays and stuff, and you watch Thibel come in and put in, you know, big defensive shifts, and... You know, even within a game, they are Jekyll and Hyde. That first half to the second half is just completely different teams. It feels like, and I, <laughs> it's just they're, they're such a a wild ride. The Sixers team, they they really are. Every game is just something different with them. Couldn't agree more. And like we said, you know, the schedule does lighten up when it comes to Embiid, though. Like that is that borderline, like you said, with the Bucks game. After that, you have a game against the Grizzlies on a road home back to back. Uh, and then you play the Bulls, and then you play the Clippers before the All-Star break. Would you just hold and beat out until after the All-Star break just to make sure that everything is, you know, all systems good, you know, all systems go, good to go, and then just bring him back for that home game against the Nets? I guess it's going to depend on uh, his update should be coming this week. Uh, we were told he'd get some kind of some kind of something you know a week or two after his surgery and we're, we're around a week since then so um we'll we'll see just kind of what kind of update we get this week but again the, the kind of max timetable for this injury and the surgery that he got is a month and that's the maximum so you'd think that i think it might actually if he's you know obviously 100 percent healthy you know and there's no or at least a very slim chance of re-injury i would actually like to see him get some games before the all-star break um Obviously, then you'd expect him to be an all-star. You hope that he goes to the all-star game and doesn't do anything crazy, doesn't re-injure himself. But I think it's better with Embiid. The the sooner you can kind of get him back on the floor safely, the, the better with him. I, I think he's a, a, a player that really benefits from having rhythm. And I think, frankly, too, you, you need, you're not really in a position where I think you can kind of sit on it and, and just say, all right, you know, we're, he's ready to go, but we'll keep him out for, you know, the three, four games. Because, frankly, everyone is going to count now, especially as you come down the stretch. I think it's very important that you keep racking up wins and you have some very, very tough games, but some also games that you, he could really be the decider in. Um, so I, I think if you can keep him and um, as long as, again, like you said, he's he's 100% healthy and ready to go, then I, I would be playing him. Yeah, I couldn't agree more because you need him. This team is far better with him than without him. And uh, you need him for those those Eastern Conference, you know, matchups that are going to truly determine where this team is in the playoff standing. So hopefully he's he's back sooner than later, all while being 100 percent or as close to 100 percent as he can possibly be. Um, let's dive into this Eagles coaching search. They uh, a ton of names have been you know thrown against the wall the past couple weeks with the offensive coordinator and wide receiver coach job. Uh, just the other day, the Eagles uh, defensive line coach put out a tweet, you know, thanking the organization for, you know, the last four years that he's been with the team. And uh, then it came out that the team fired him. So the Eagles are also looking for a defensive line coach, which is strange to me because they had 33 sacks this year, um, which was only three and a half behind what they had during the Super Bowl season. 
Uh, so the Eagles looking for a defensive line coach too. But the big name that's come out um, in terms of the offensive coordinator job is from the college ranks, and that is USC offensive coordinator Graham Harrell. Uh, a ton of people are probably like, who the hell is Graham Harrell? Uh, he was a really, really good college quarterback, finished fourth in the Heisman voting in 2008 behind former Eagles Sam Bradford and Tim Tebow. <laughs> um, but this would be, if the Eagles do decide to hire Graham Harrell, this would be the second straight season. USC has lost their offensive coordinator, obviously, last year. Cliff Kingsbury left to go be the head coach for the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, but he's known for you know his air raid type offense. He he spreads the field wide open, which is like the new NFL buzzword. <laughs> <Yes>. like, <laughs> that's like the, how patient space became like the buzzword for yes. the NBA. Air raid is like the new NFL patient space. <laughs> um, he's I believe thirty four years old, so he's super young. I like the move if it does happen because it's somebody from outside of the organization brings in new concepts and ideas, a fresh set of eyes on Carson Wentz, and could really open things up in terms of how this team even drafts. Because if he needs speed guys, that's going to be a, a, a you know sound in Howie Roseman's ears to go get speed guys for this offense so Carson Wentz has some weapons to throw to. It's a, a good potential hire, right? You, you feel like the ceiling is good. He's young. Um, you know, which swings both ways. There's obviously pros and cons to that. You could say he's inexperienced, but you could also say he could be innovative and have some fresh ideas. And, you know, I think Doug Peterson himself was kind of similarly uh, criticized when he was hired as an Eagles head coach, where no one was really sure of his experience level and what he was actually going to bring to the table. And, you know, I, I think you're going to hear kind of the same things about, about Graham Harrell is that what, what is he really going to bring? But for me, I, I feel the same way as you in that having someone that uh, has a, a new perspective, and that's kind of been a lot of these hires in the last few years, and some of them have been good and bad, right? You have a, a pretty mixed mixed signals here. But, yeah, I think this is kind of the new way of getting you know younger guys that maybe have, have some new innovative ways of thinking, maybe even more analytical types of ways of thinking, and getting them into your organizations um, is, is going to be crucial. And, you know, again, you've seen some successes, you've seen some failures, but overall, you know, I, I think you, you have to feel good about taking a swing on a guy like this. And, I mean, we knocked the Cardinals for, uh, you know, bringing in Cliff Kingsbury, and he turned out to be, you know, a pretty quality head coach in year one and really uh, took Kyler Murray to – uh, being a, a quality rookie NFL quarterback made that offense fun. Obviously, they couldn't run the ball truly well uh, with a, a star caliber running back, and it became more of a committee. But, um, you know, Shil Kapadia from The Athletic uh, put out some tidbits from his article uh, and said Graham Harrell favors short play calls over West Coast offense terminology, which would be interesting to see how that works because we all know Doug is a West Coast offense kind of coach. Uh, his offenses finished top 10 in pass attempts in each of the last three seasons. He showed his quarterbacks an Undertaker-Mankind match to get a point across. Undertaker was one of my more favorite wrestlers, <laughs> so I respect it. Uh, and then he goes into just, you know, kind of breaking down how he would fit into, you know, Doug Peterson's coaching staff. And, um, you know, if, if he can get this team to, you know, spread the ball around, get the the field opened up and and make things easier on Carson Wentz moving forward I would be very much in favor of this and plus he's also a former quarterback and we know how the Eagles front office really values former quarterbacks being on this coaching staff 
Doug Peterson, obviously, as the head coach. Frank Reich, a former quarterback when he was here. Uh, Mike Groh was a quarterback in college, I believe. So the the former quarterback nuance with this, this coaching staff is something that I think the front office takes a lot of pride in. And uh, Graham Harrell fits right into that mold. And if they can pry him away from USC... I think it would be a, a very good hire for this Eagles team moving forward. Absolutely. I think, again, it's you're sort of selling yourself on potential here, and that's always a good thing. It's better, you know, it, I, if I had it my way, I would rather sign guys like this than guys that have, have you know, maybe more established, you know, 10 to 15, you know, careers so far in the league, and you kind of know whether they are. With this, you, you feel like you, you have some untapped potential there that could go, you know, obviously it could go wrong. There, there's no doubt about that, but you feel like this could be that innovative step that the Eagles take to kind of push their offense forward when for a lot of times this year it felt like when it really mattered this team was not able to to really move the ball effectively really in any way yeah and I mean you even look at just the the backup quarterback position and how they value that with Nick Foles being here helping Carson Wentz when he was on the field in 2017 before he got hurt Josh McCown this season was pretty much an extension of the coaching staff just on the bench helping Carson Wentz with reads, uh, you know, on the, the surface tablets. And, you know, Carson talked about how important he was to just this season for him. And uh, I think Graham Harrell would be a fantastic hire if they can make this happen. And it would be, you know, the biggest of the positional openings for this team, uh, you know, filled with a, a potential long-term guy in place being how young he is and hopefully he sticks around for more than you know a season or two before teams try to pry him away as a uh you know head coaching candidate or something like that so it'll be interesting to see how it develops and we'll keep our eyes on that but the other news with the eagles connor barwin's back uh in the front office now as uh the assistant to the general manager just call him connor schrute um very intrigued and excited for uh, Connor Barwin to be back and just to see what he's going to be able to do uh, in this front office for the Eagles. I know I saw a couple tweets talking about how he's going to be very uh, involved in kind of player relations and giving Howie Roseman a player perspective of, you know, players on the field and how things operate. And who knows, maybe he's a cap wizard and knows how to, uh, you know, crunch numbers with Howie and Connor Barwin becomes a, a valuable member of this front office. Yeah, um, I think it's hard to know exactly what his role is when when it's just kind of an assistant to the general manager, but it's always good to kind of have former players, I think, back involved with the organization, and that could even be something that you kind of have as a, a ploy in free agency and, and other signings, right, where it's like, you know, there's always kind of a pathway to, you know, a career beyond just what you, as a player, um, so that's that's a positive thing too for for the Eagles is establishing you know a potential to to kind of grow beyond just your NFL career and, and what you can do afterwards. I think that's a big piece of this too. Yeah. So Barwin's official title is special assistant to the general manager in the off season. Uh, Connor Barwin will aid the personnel staff in scouting talent during the season. Uh, he's going to focus on player development, especially with players making the jump from the college ranks to the NFL. And uh, in a quote from Connor Barwin to Dave Spadaro, who works for the Eagles, as their insider, he says, I'm done playing football, but my football career is not over. Um, I want to stay involved. I want to help this team wherever I can and also learn the other side of the game from the coaches and the personnel side. There's still a lot that I can learn about the on-field part of the game as well. I love being around the game. I still want to win a Super Bowl, multiple Super Bowls. So 
I'm happy. Connor Byron was one of those guys that was a fan favorite. He stuck around in Philadelphia. Uh, the minute he got here, still has a house here, still helps in the community with building, uh, you know, parks and, and just helping, you know, underprivileged areas in the city of Philadelphia uh, just, you know, raise them up and, and make them better. And I couldn't be happier to have Connor Barman back with this organization, especially in a, a new capacity. 100% agree. Phillies? <laughs> what about them? <laughs> they, they keep catching breaks. Because uh, Carlos Beltran, he's out of here. The Mets and Carlos Beltran, quote, mutually agreed to part ways uh, was the phrasing, although there were reports that he was just going to be fired, so he agreed to, quote, unquote, step down. Uh, He was the manager of the Mets for two months, Matt, and did absolutely nothing. He never lost a game, though. (laughs) That's true. He is undefeated as a manager. Um, But the Mets now... One of three teams, as we are about 25 days away from spring training, looking for a manager, and you just hate to see it. You do. Um, what a crazy last week it was for baseball, and um, it felt like things were. It felt like things had finally calmed down when he got the Astros punishment. But you kind of had this. I don't even know where it really came from. This whole like fresh wave of. Oh, um, you know, the buzzers had been rumored in the initial, like, kind of breakout of all of this. Yeah. And now there was, like, you know, people are taking the pictures. You obviously have the Altuve, like, video of him saying, don't you know, don't, my jersey yeah, don't, off. don't run my shirt and then off. He runs into the dugout to put a shirt on over top of his jersey. So, my honest take on that was that he wanted to save the jersey. That's what a lot of people are saying. You know, like, I get that it's obviously when you have the suspicion of the buzzers and stuff, it's like, oh, why does anyone take. My feeling was he didn't want to get it, it ripped or anything or, you know, get stamped on. He wanted to make sure that he, in, I mean, it was a pretty, it's as big of a moment as you're going to get really in your career. So it does make sense. But, you know, there's tons of suspicion about this team that kind of, again, just refreshed itself. And that's the issue with baseball that I think has persisted since we were kids. Is like every scandal is always never fully closed. Like the door always feels open still. And I think it allows people to still have negative feelings and, you, know, you kind of have these these theories continue to linger as long as it's out there. And, if again, it feels like the story not quite finished on all of it. And, yeah, obviously now it's leaked to, to other teams being implicated and other kinds of scandals. And it's not good for baseball either when you have, you know, what was one of the more exciting teams the last few years that, that everyone was, I think, pretty happy for when they were having success, felt like they did it the right way, now completely maligned by all this. And you know you have two other managers being forced to to step down, and you know you don't know what their futures in the games are, are going to be like. Um, it's just it's not good for baseball, and it's just a very very strange week, and it sucks for the Mets, honestly. Like it is so Mets, but man, it is also like it's hilarious. <laughs> it really is hilarious. Yeah, so you talk about the buzzers, and um, you know John Boy and. Their whole gang was at the winter meetings, and he tweeted out that, you know, he spoke to five different people within baseball that said, you know, that was a thing. And, you know, other people he spoke to um, said that the buzzers were a, a real thing. And, you know, people looking at the the Josh Reddick profile picture with the confetti over top of a wire. And is it a necklace? Is it a buzzer? You know, what is it? And you have his, I believe it was his wife coming out and saying, you guys are morons. This is confetti from, you know, field falling down um it's just a very weird situation and then you had the the account claiming that it was carlos beltran's niece and then it comes out that 
that person is not related to the Beltrons in any way. So. But still had insight into that. That's what kind of got lost in that is, yes, it wasn't his niece, but they still had information that was that clearly is connected to him and in the some night way. Before they had mentioned that Beltron was going to be stepping yeah. down. So it's it, so it's we're all in so a new strange. age of burner accounts. Yes, um, and then that account also put out tweets talking about the young players on the Yankees because obviously Beltron was working for the Yankees, and we had the video of Alex Cora, you know, winking, talking about that being the Yankees' biggest offseason pickup. That account tweeted out, um, you know, it's no coincidence that uh, Gio Urshela and Gleyber Torres had, you know standout years in terms of just breaking out and the way that they played so it's it's such a gray area with all of this new wave of information because major league baseball has claimed that they looked into the buzzers and found no substantial evidence about it but it's very strange that there's a lot of people around baseball claiming that they know about these buzzers and you know Obviously, the Altuve thing with the video, people think it's from 2017. It's actually from 2019, um, but it's still very strange. And, you know, he talked to Ken Rosenthal after the game because he asked him about it. You know, why'd you run into the dugout? And he's like, oh, I'm just shy, which is a weird, weird thing. And that's that's what makes it strange, too, because if, if he had just said that the option that I had before, like, oh, you know, I really wanted to save that jersey. Like, this is a exactly. special moment. Like, then it's like, yeah, it makes a ton of sense. But the, his reply... And I don't even care that's the heat of the moment because it's like, why would you, what's the point of lying about like save plenty of athletes save jerseys and stuff to either for themselves or to uh, charity auctions, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Jersey swaps. Yeah, it's like, like, it's not unusual for a player to be like, I'm saving this, <laughs> you know, but it, the issue is with this entire thing, there's two issues really. One, it's a dark cloud, much like steroids were, that's just not going to leave the game because there's always going to be the persistent question of, you know. What was true and what was not? What was actual you being a, a good player and what actually was you being aided by some outside force, whether that's steroids or cheating, whether it's a buzzer. Or Denver, stealing, Colorado. <laughs> or Denver, Colorado. That's <laughs> also evergreen. But two, you know, it, it also, you know, just creates like this, this whole like just issue with baseball and it's always had an issue with handling of scandals and the, there's there's no the problem with the scandals there's no real definitive way to prove anything right it's it's all it's all very circumstantial and with something like this you need you need concrete evidence you need like that uh apparently carlos beltran's niece said they had pictures of, of buzzers in lottery you need something like that you need to have proof here because you know you can zoom in on whatever you know, a picture of Altuve when he's running and saying this is a buzzer there's no way to prove that there's no way to prove by looking at a video of him saying he doesn't want his shirt ripped off that yes he's he's clearly hiding something here it's all circumstantial and it's all you can't really prove any of this and that's why the players to this point have been you know gone unpunished right because to 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 actually dole out a suspension here means you you have to have some real proof and it needs to come in the form of some kind of recorded conversation some kind of recorded anything and you don't you just don't have that to this point i don't really foresee it happening either 
And this whole thing wouldn't have even happened if someone doesn't go on the record with their name saying this, because this has been this has been reported the last two or three years. But it's always you know sources say, and whenever that happens, people obviously and fair enough are more suspicious of something like that than when Fires comes out and says with his name attached that this happened, and and that gives it so much more weight and. You know, until that happens with sort of this next phase of the the controversy, now you're you're not going to get what you wanted, and I think a lot of people just want clarity and they want answers. But baseball, I think, has always been a sport that struggles a lot with clarity and answers on on really every kind of scandal. I mean, this even reopened the Pete Rose scandal, um, and about how you know you have a team that's let's be honest, clearly cheated, and we don't we just don't know the extent that they really went mm-hmm. to cheat. Uh, just yet, at least, um, as opposed to someone who's just betting on games. And I don't mean to dim- diminish what he did, right? Because I still think betting on games while you're an active player, active manager is still wrong. But to be have a lifetime ban for that, but yet actively cheating the game gets you suspended for a year. I, like, there's no consistency there. There, there really isn't. And, and I think it's the same with PEDs as well. You, mm-hmm. you are actively cheating. You are, you are taking an advantage that no one else has available. And, and you, legally. Legally. And you're gaming the system. Like, you know, and it's just all very strange. And you even had, like, you know, Alex Wood was saying, I'd rather face uh, someone roided up than someone who knows every pitch I'm throwing. And I think that's, that's yeah. pretty... Barry Bonds knows every pitch that's coming to him. He's hitting, you know, who knows Over how many 700 home, home runs. <laughs> like that that's but it, it is such a again, this this cloud is not going to go away. Now even too as you come into the season, it's not one of these things that I think people are going to forget because the fans I'm sure can't wait to to boo the Astros. They're going to have a really rough time on the road next year even though they've kind of always had a tough time on the road, haven't they? There's always been a pretty big disparity between how they, a little bit, how they perform at home on the road, but it's not going to get any easier this year because I tell you, Home Depot and Lowe's are going to get absolutely closed out of trash cans whenever Mm -hmm. the Astros come to town. Um, Yeah, it's just, it's it's not good for baseball overall. Like, everyone... You know, you saw like some tweets and some stuff about how like oh baseball trying to be more like NBA and have these offseason controversies. The difference is is that NBA offseason controversies usually revolve around players wanting to move teams. That's the most common thing lately. It's not a real negative controversy. Not a can I actually believe that this team is good and they're not cheating? Because that's always been a question with baseball. Is it, really, it's it's always been pervasive about cheating. And is someone is someone gaming this? And typically, it has been about PEDs. But now you have this whole new layer of, yeah, I I don't know if I can trust you know the, the the Astros. I don't know if I can trust the Red Sox. I don't know if I can trust these teams that have performed well over the last few years. And that's that's tough as a fan too. And it's hard to, you know, especially in an age where baseball I think is really trying to re-engage with especially a younger fan base. Um, I don't know how you. It could be an irrecoverable kind of death knell for the league, and I think that's also why they're hesitant to go deeper in the investigation. I think they're just hoping this all kind of blows over, and it likely, honestly, will. But the Astros will get tons of heat, mm-hmm. you know, for for this season especially. And the fact that it has trickled to at least three organizations, where Alex Cora is now out as Red Sox manager, Carlos Beltran is out as the Mets manager. That's you know, obviously, it's not going to do much for the Mets, but with the Red Sox, Alex Cora went there the year after the Astros. And the Red Sox won a World Series, and he put in a, an even wilder and wackier cheating system in Boston, according to these reports. So, like, the Red Sox are also going to catch some heat, too, um, which is going to be interesting to just see how that plays out, because 
one common denominator here, Astros, Red Sox. The Yankees hate them both now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Joe Giglio put out an article on NJ.com saying how the uh, Astros cheating scandal helped the Phillies, and we talked about how you know Beltran is now out as Mets manager and they're scrambling to go find a manager now. The other one is the Astros going to the World Series in 2017. In order to get there, they had to beat the Yankees in the ALCS when Joe Girardi was the manager. So who's to say if the Yankees end up winning that, Joe Girardi's still not in the dugout for them, and the Phillies don't have Joe Girardi as their manager right now. So it's it's a weird turn of events there, too, that this whole thing potentially wound up you know, as, as Joe Girardi being the Phillies manager because the Yankees lost the ALCS in 2017. Yeah, this is, is this is the new butterfly effect here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, some former Phillies news. Gabe Kapler, obviously the uh, manager in San Francisco now, putting in a, a new standard for Major League Baseball as he is bringing on the first female assistant coach uh, in Major League Baseball history. So kudos to Gabe and kudos to the Giants for uh, making that happen. And Giants media also getting a... Uh, to know Gabe Kapler stories as he likes to rip off uh, the breading from his McDonald's chicken nuggets when he forgets his uh, his meals. <laughs> Such a weird though, dude. Like I'm kind of like I I'm not even kind of I'm happy I don't have to listen to Gabe Kapler and his like weird weird tangents that he goes on in his his press conferences and stuff and his overly positive stuff. Shout out to Drew Smiley, newest newest giant. Phillies legend. See the uh, the Tim Kelly tweet. It's only fitting. <laughs> Cliff Lee made his Phillies debut in San Francisco, so it's only a matter of fact that Drew Smiley's going to end up with the Giants. God damn it! I, like <laughs> you know, I, I Giants man. Wait, they're they're one of my least favorite uh, baseball teams. Always, we'll, we'll always hate them. Um, Gabe Kapler, man, is just such a weird guy. He like. I think we always wanted him to be more on the eccentric side and like, oh, you know, it's just, he's just kind of like a, a goofy dude, I guess. I don't know. Like, he's just kind of out there. And it's more like, no, I think there's something wrong with Gabe Kapler. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> the uh, the assistant coach, too, for the Giants, her name is Alyssa Nackin. So congratulations to her and kudos to the Giants, you know, for making that happen because, you know, it's it's been talked about. There are, you know, female assistants, I believe, in minor league baseball and there are just – part-time assistants it's kind of similar to how Becky Hammond you know joined the Spurs as an assistant coach under Pop and uh, I don't think it'll be too much longer before we see her name kind of thrown in the ring for you know a potential head coaching job in the NBA because we saw what she did in the summer league and how she was just engaged with everything so I think this is going to be a wave that we start seeing more and more in professional sports uh, at the full-time level and then potentially you know at the uh you know, leading the charge at the the head coach position. Also, the dot dot dot. <laughs> the dumbass of the week goes to Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, that story, in and of itself, is a a mess. You know, slaps the the rear end of a police officer that is in the locker very, room. Very very Claude Giroux of them, though. <laughs> <laughs> Respect that part at least. He uh, kind of is. He is kind of eccentric, like Claude is. A little he, bit. Obviously, Claude isn't quite as like outspoken and mm-hmm. as public as him. But I actually feel like they might get along. You know, you heard all the Odell to Philly kind of stuff, and I feel like those two would be best buds. Actually, I feel like they'd get along. Can you imagine just Claude and Odell just both very impulsive guys apparently when it comes to <laughs> police's butts. And uh, 
There was a we have to ask Odell's opinion on pigeons. <laughs> I wonder if his pigeons Jarvis Landry. Um, Might be. Odell had a warrant put out for his arrest, but the officer is not pressing charges. And then obviously, uh, they're looking into seeing if he actually paid the LSU players because there's video of him, you know, clapping them up with cash in his hand and you know giving it to the, some of the the LSU players after they won the national championship. Um, just a wild, wild week for Odell Beckham Jr. Um, don't even know how to explain it, but that's Odell in a nutshell. You don't know how to explain him. You know, he's uh, pretending he's married to, to kicking nets and acting like a dog on a field and getting penalized for that. Uh, Odell, man, you are one of a kind, that's for sure. He's certainly unique. I think that's all we got for you guys. Uh on this edition of Underground Sports Philadelphia. The Wings play twice this weekend, so if you're not following Outside the Box on Twitter, you should be. It's at OTBLaxPod. Uh, they are at home tomorrow. I'm still trying to find out if I can wear my pajamas to the game because it is a pajama party. Um, so if you're going to be at the game, let us know. But make sure you're following us on Twitter as well, at UndergroundPHI. We have uh, the Underground Sports Philadelphia Hall and Wall of Fame voting coming out probably midweek next week. As that's how we celebrate our anniversary, and it'll run all the way through. And then we're planning a big giveaway for our anniversary as well. So make sure you are following us on Twitter and Instagram at UndergroundPHI. You can follow Matt on Twitter at Matt Castorina, and you can follow me on Twitter at KBIZZL311. And make sure you're subscribed to the podcast, guys. Leave those five-star ratings and reviews. Apple Podcasts, just search Underground Sports Philadelphia. Let us know what you think about Furkan Korkmaz, you know, having a career game. Connor Barwin being back, your thoughts on Graham Harrell, or uh, this whole Astros cheating scandal. Sure, it might not be Philadelphia-related, but it's breaking just the sports barrier of, you know, the news realm. So anything in your uh, your heads, let us know. Five stars only, though, because we have standards. We know you do, too. And uh, if you don't have an iPhone, you can check us out on Spotify, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, the TuneIn app, iHeartRadio, Radio.com, wherever you get your podcasts. We are there. And uh, we'll be back on Wednesday, hopefully talking about a couple of Sixers wins, prepping for that Raptors game. Uh, Hopefully the Eagles will have uh, figured out some of their coaching staff by then and anything else that potentially comes up with the Phillies and Flyers. But as always, show brought to you by Main Auto LLC, Dusharms Pro Foot, Security 21, Wainwright Bernhardt Funeral Home, Paul J. Gillespie Incorporated, Bob Novick Automall, Mark Ronchetti, CPA LLC, and the Dental Wellness Center of Vineland. And I also... Hit up our friends at Design Tree to see if we can get that Jekyll and Hyde Sixers uh, idea cooking and flowing because I think that's a it needs to be idea. the one from Scooby Doo. Uh, good call when, when Scooby Doo met Jekyll and Hyde. That's a that great is a, call. A classic. So make sure you check out our storefront on Design Tree's website, dsgentry.com. Search Underground Sports Philadelphia and use the promo code DSGN five for five dollars off at checkout or DSGN ten for ten dollars off at checkout. You can't stack them, but you can use either or save yourself some money on all of our merch on our storefront there. And uh, this has been Underground Sports Philadelphia, episode number 203. For Matt, I'm Kyle. We are signing off. Peace.